If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews, chapter 11. When you find that, you can also... Actually, we're going to be in the same chapter there. Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, is our series verse. And it says this, and it says, And it is impossible, say with me, impossible, to please God without faith. It says, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Let's pray this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord God, for this day that you have made, Lord. It is a beautiful day, Lord. Help us, Father God, to rejoice in your goodness. Lord God, to rejoice in your faithfulness, Lord to rejoice in salvation, and to rejoice in your love. Lord, help us to have open ears to receive, that our hearts will be open, Lord God, that your word, Lord God, would grow in our lives, that it would be cultivated, and that we would see the fruit. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, and the church says, Amen. It is impossible to please God without faith, the Bible says. And anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. This month, we're going to be looking at the lives of five individuals, five people in the Bible, and how their lives exemplified faith that pleased God. Brother Manny spoke a tremendous message last week concerning the faith of Abraham, a message that was entitled, Waiting on God. I encourage you to go back and watch it online if you, haven't, if you weren't here last week or you may have missed it. Go back and watch it online. You're going to be blessed. And tonight, we're going to be continuing in our Heroes of, Ser- Heroes of Faith series, and we're going to be looking at the life of Moses. In Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 23, the Bible says this, and it says, Faith led Moses' parents to hide him for three months after he was born. They did this because they saw that Moses was a beautiful baby, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's order. When Moses grew up, faith led him to refuse to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to suffer with God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a little while. Verse 26, he believed that being insulted for Christ would be better than having the treasures of Egypt. He was looking ahead to his reward Faith led Moses to leave Egypt without being afraid of the king's anger. Moses didn't give up, but continued as if he could actually see the invisible God. Faith led Moses to establish the Passover and spread the blood on the doorpost so that the destroying angel would not kill the firstborn sons. Faith caused the people to go through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. 
The Egyptians also tried this, but they drowned. Faith caused the walls of Jericho to fall after the Israelites marched around them for seven days. I titled this message this evening, Destined for Great Purpose. How many believe that you are destined for great purpose? Do you believe that? Do you really honestly believe that in your heart of hearts? That you are destined for great purpose? See, because there's individuals who may be a little confused as to why they are here in the first place. Maybe they haven't, maybe they haven't found their, their spot, they, their place in the work of the Lord. Moses, as a young child, the Bible says, as a young Hebrew child, was born in Egypt during the period in which the Pharaoh had ordered that all newborn Hebrew males would be thrown into the Nile. They would be killed. Moses' mother put him in a basket and put him, in the, put him on the water so that he would be spared from being killed. The Bible says that the Pharaoh's daughter ended up finding young baby Moses and took him in as her own. She adopted him. And Moses grew up in the palace. And as he was brought up in the splendor of Egypt as her adopted son, as he grew older, he began to understand who he truly was. And he saw the affliction of his people. I want to look at some key things here in Moses' life that had him standing out from the rest. Where he came to this realization that he was destined for great purpose, that he was, that he was more than, than maybe what others saw of him, that there was greater value in his life than what anyone else may have seen. I want to look at a few things here this evening. I want you to take notes. Number one, Moses refused worldly prestige. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, back to our text, and it says, faith led him, Moses, to refuse to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, as the, as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses had it all. He lived in the palace of the world superpower in its day. He would have been highly educated, highly respected by all. In fact, Acts 7.22 says this, and it says, and Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. See, when 
many would have killed for the fame, for the fortune that Moses had. The writer of Hebrews said that Moses refused it. He refused it. He said, no, this is not for me. Even though this is a nice, lavished life, I believe that, I'm, that I was created for a greater purpose. I believe that God has set me apart for something even better. I mean, you have to think of it. He was in the palace. He was a, he was a son, adopted son, of the Pharaoh's daughter. He had it all. Anything he could ever want. But instead, he refused to wear the badge of worldly honor because his faith led him to seek his honor elsewhere. See, Moses was more concerned about his standing with God than he was with his statue in Egypt. He was more concerned of about how God viewed him than his position in Egypt. You see, faith is always more interested in what God knows than what men think, isn't it? What does God know about you? You see, faith is always more interested in that. What does God say about me? What purpose has God given my life? See, that's what faith seeks. Faith, faith doesn't, doesn't concern itself with what man may say about you. Faith is more concerned about what God says about you. Proverbs 29, verse 25, Solomon writes this, and he says, The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. See, there's security in the Lord. Eternal security. See, even though there, was, there were individuals that we read about in the Bible who were persecuted, who were killed for following Christ, there's security in the Lord. God will never leave you nor forsake you, the Bible says. And there is that eternal security that God has promised you and I. That it doesn't matter if, if, if man takes your body, no one can take your soul. It is the Lord's. You are His and He is yours. See, simply looking on what Moses was doing, it, it would seem that Moses was sacrificing everything to gain nothing. But when in truth, he was actually sacrificing nothing to gain everything. You have to understand this, because many people will see the things of the world the title and the position, and they'll think that that is everything. If I could only attain this, 
then everything will be good. But in reality, the Bible says, that isn't everything. That is nothing. Instead, if you humbly serve the Lord, serve others, the Bible says that is everything. That is everything. And that is how God would want us to live. You see, in God's kingdom, the way up is always the way down. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 18, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Do you remember that? Yes? Some of you remember reading that? The rest of you read the book of Matthew? The disciples had the nerve to ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The Bible says that Jesus brought a young boy over to the disciples. And he says this. He says, he who takes the lowly position of this child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine their faces? What are you talking about, Jesus? We're grown men. You want us to be a little kid? What are you talking about? Can you imagine what some of them were thinking in their minds? See, what Jesus was saying was, I don't want you to seek position. I don't want you to seek title because it doesn't mean anything. It's not going to get you into heaven. He says, as a matter of fact, unless you become like this child, you will not enter heaven, Jesus says. But if you would humble yourself, and if you would consider yourself as something that is not so great, and if you submit your life unto the great, mighty God, then you will enter the kingdom of heaven. What a, what a time that that must have been to see the disciples react to his answer. Don't seek after title. Don't seek after position. Instead, serve. Serve. Right where you're at, serve others. In this church, God wants you to serve one another. That's what he wants from you. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, what is, God's, what is God's direction for my life? What is his calling for me in this church? And that is to serve. That is to serve. We don't seek out position. Those who, are, those who oversee ministries, they didn't seek out position. That was God-given. God, God brought them to that place and has allowed them to be in those positions. But God just wants us to serve. So that's it. He says, look around you. There's a lot of needs that you can meet in this place. 
See, Moses, despite his position that he had as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, refused that worldly prestige. He also rejected worldly pleasures. Hebrews 11, verse 25, it says, He chose to suffer with God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a little while. See, Moses came to this point in his life where he knew that God was calling him to identify with his people, to give up worldly pleasure and to suffer affliction with his people. See, the choice that he had to make was obedience or disobedience. The easiest choice for him to have made was to stay in the palace, right? That would have been easy. It wouldn't have taken much from him. It wouldn't have required much if he would have just remained where he was. See, but faith always takes the road less traveled. Moses chose obedience to God over the passing pleasures of sin. And that's a key word there, because no matter how pleasurable sin may be in the moment, its satisfaction is never lasting. It's passing. That's why it says the passing pleasures of sin. Why? Because it's only for a moment. We all know that those things that we were chasing after, it didn't last forever. That's why we're here this evening. Because we came to that realization, thank God. And God allowed us to see that we were not living a life that was pleasing to him. We were not living a life that was conducive to our well-being eternally or even now. And God says, no, I have so much more for you. You were destined for great purpose. And God turned us around. Thank you, Jesus. And God forgave us our sins. And he allowed us to be born again. He allowed us a new beginning. Thank you, Jesus. How many are thankful for salvation? Man. Each and every one of us has experienced this in our life. See, the enemy would love nothing more than to entice us through these passing pleasures of sin. He distorts the truth and makes that temptation appear so attractive, doesn't he? Oh, man, this is all you need. And you begin to look at that and you think, yes, that's exactly what I need. It's exactly what I need. That's what I've been longing for. Man, if I, just, if I can just have that, I'd be happy. I'd be a different person. 
yeah, we'd be a different person, all right, but not for the good. But we need to understand that the enemy doesn't want us to realize is how that pleasure of sin only lasts for a moment. But its consequences are eternal. Look at the life of David. How David gave in to the temptation and experienced sin's passing pleasures with Bathsheba. What he didn't realize what that, was that this decision that he had made was going to last for a lifetime. Look at what God had told the prophet Nathan to tell David in 2 Samuel 12, verse 10. Nathan told David this, a message from the Lord, and he says, Now therefore, David, because of your sin, the sword shall never depart from your house. What was he telling David? He was saying, You shall never live in peace. Isn't that what sin does? Sin doesn't allow you to live in peace. When these kind of things take place in our lives, we don't have the peace of God. We're all messed up. But the enemy doesn't tell us this when he, when he dangles the carrot in front of your face. He doesn't say that, you know what, this is going to last forever. The consequences are going to be eternal. He just says, this is going to be pleasurable. Sadly, David experienced this in his life. God told him that, for, that, that always your family will live by the sword. You will not experience peace. The enemy seeks to disrupt and to destroy our relationship with God. And not only that, but our relationship with each other. He doesn't want us to last. He doesn't, he doesn't want to see your marriage hit 50 years. He doesn't want that. Instead, he wants to destroy it. He wants to take away peace from your home. Maybe you're experiencing things right now where there, is, where there may not be peace in your home. You need to see it for what it is. You need to pray against it. You need to pray for God's peace in your home. You need to pray for God's peace in your marriage, amen? You need God's peace in your marriage. You need it. That's the only way it's going to last is when you make God the center of that relationship, of that marriage. That vow that you made to each other, you put God in the center. And you say, God, you help us because we are two imperfect people that are trying to live together for the rest of our lives. And you're going to bump heads. You're going to have disagreements. But guess what? God is going to give you peace if you ask for it. Oh, man.
What a beautiful blessing that is. I thank God for his peace in my marriage. Oh, man, I thank God for that peace. It's nothing like it. I don't like fighting. Usually I cause it. I don't like fighting. <laughs> I like peace. I like when everyone's getting, to, you know, getting, getting along with each other. You see, faith looks to Christ for its ultimate pleasure. You see the difference there? The flesh looks for its pleasure in what? In what the flesh wants. Usually it's not something good. But faith looks for that pleasure in, in Jesus Christ. Amen. Though it may suffer temporary affliction as an outsider to this world, it leads to eternal pleasure and lasting satisfaction that the world knows nothing of. David writes this in Psalm 16, verse 11. And he says this, and he says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. That's exactly what God wants us to experience, church. That we would experience the fullness of joy, not only in our lives, but in our relationships. You could experience the fullness of joy. That there will be pleasures not just for a season, but forevermore, the Bible says. That's what you've been looking for. That's what you're searching for. And it's found in Jesus Christ. Thirdly here, not only did Moses refuse worldly prestige, and he rejected worldly pleasures, but he also renounced worldly possessions. Hebrews 11.26 says this. It says, He believed that being insulted for Christ would be better than having the treasures of Egypt. This guy sounds crazy. He believed that being insulted for Christ would be better than having the treasures of Egypt. You see how that sounds so crazy to the world? To an unbeliever, they would begin to, they would begin to mock your beliefs for saying something like that. See, I told you, these Bible thumpers, they're crazy. These holy rollers, you know, they're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I told you they're all like that. They say crazy things like that. See, but you don't understand until you experience a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't see those things until you've been forgiven your sin. Until you've seen your life 
transformed by Jesus Christ. You seeing your life change direction because you decided to follow Christ. You saw yourself making better decisions. You saw, you saw a, a restoration in your home. You saw restoration at your job, in your finances. Things are going better, amen? In your mind, there is peace, amen? In your heart, you don't carry that anger and hatred anymore. No longer are you depressed, amen? But you have the fullness of joy over your life. No longer are you afraid, but you have the peace of the Lord. See, Moses wasn't fascinated with the glitter of the fool's gold of Egypt. He saw it for what it was. And he knew that nothing compared to the reward of obedient faith. You see, he weighed what Egypt offered next to what God offered. You see, Egypt offered temporary wealth where God offered eternal wealth. Egypt offered a name here. God offered a name there. Egypt offered riches that will one day fade. God offered riches that will never fade. Egypt offered temporary happiness and eternal suffering. God offers temporary suffering and eternal happiness. You see, he saw these things and he began to weigh the differences. See, for Moses, it was a no-brainer. Moses wanted neither pleasure nor treasure because he had something that was way better, and that was the reward of faith. Jesus says this in Mark 8, 36. And he says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What do you get when you chase after all these things of the world? And at the end, you end up being eternally separated from God. You've gained nothing. You thought that you were, you were seeking everything. Instead, you were seeking nothing. And this is what the enemy doesn't want you and I to see. That the pursuits of those things is really pursuing nothing. But God wants us to have our value system in the right place, amen? Moses had the right value system. See, the world measures wealth in terms of how much you own by way of possession. What is it that you have? And I'll tell you how wealthy you truly are. You see, God's value system is so different. See, Moses' faith defied the value system of Egypt. He refused Egypt's position. 
rejected Egypt's pleasures, renounced Egypt's possessions. Why? Because he was in pursuit of something far greater. Many people think, if I only had this, if I only had a, if I only had a better education, if I only had more money, doesn't everyone want more money? Someone asked John Rockefeller, billionaire, how much money is he? Uh, uh, he they asked, um, how much more money do you need? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You're never going to have enough. You're never going to be satisfied with the things of the world. If I had this and I had that, everything would be better. Life would be so different for me. The Bible talks about Solomon and how Solomon never had to think if I only had because he had everything. According to the world's point of view. The Bible says that Solomon was the richest man of his time. It says his wealth was far beyond imagination. He appeared to have it all. But in that, but this same man wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2. And he said this, he said, everything is meaningless. This is a man who had it all according to the world standards and the world view. And he says, I've come to the conclusion that everything is meaningless. It's meaningless. I have everything that I could have ever wanted. I have everything that everyone else is pursuing. I see them. I see them chasing after these things, and I have them. I have what you've been looking for. He says, let me save you some heartache. Let me save you some time. It's meaningless. You're going to always want more. See, life is meaningless apart from God. It's meaningless. When I was a kid, I remember getting one of those chocolate bunnies for Easter. Remember those big old chocolate bunnies? They were like in a box this size. And as a kid, man, I loved sweets. And I was like, man, this is awesome. I can't wait to eat this bunny. It's, it's oh my goodness, I can't believe that someone could make a chocolate, you know, structure this big. And I remember opening that box and biting into that bunny's ear and I came to the realization that that bunny was hollow. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was so heartbroken. I was like, are you kidding me? I thought that that was, that was full of chocolate. And that I was going to be, you know, eating that, you know, in the, in the, you know, the next 10 minutes. It's hollow. You can break it all apart. 
It was misleading. They made it seem like it was the best thing ever, like it was full of goodness. And that's what the enemy does. The things of the world are like that chocolate bunny. It looks good from the outside. And if you got a sweet tooth, oh man, you're going after it. I want one of those. Now, I don't want the little guy. I want the big one. But we sadly come to the realization that in actuality, it's hollow. It wasn't what you had imagined. It wasn't what you expected. You were let down. You weren't satisfied like the box would want you to think. But instead, you were regretful. Isn't that true about sin? Yes, it's true about sin. You regret the things that you do. Man, if I could just get a take back, I wouldn't do that again. But guess what? It's too late. It's already been done. Now you have to just move forward. You have to ask God to forgive you for the things that you've done and move forward. Don't do it again. But you can't change the past. But this is what sin does. It's enticing. It draws us in to something that is false. See, let us pursue God. Let us deepen our relationship with the one who pursues us. Let us desire a more closeness with God the one who created you and I. You see, Moses refused worldly prestige, rejected worldly pleasures, and renounced worldly possessions to receive God's promises. Hebrews 11.26 says he was looking ahead to his reward. See, the pleasures of sin are short. They will either end in repentance or ruin. See, but faith is in pursuit of that heavenly prize. You see, our lives have to have real meaning. You have to Believe that your life has real meaning in Christ. In Christ. Apart from him, you are not going to experience it. Why? Because earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy. They weren't. They weren't created for that reason. Only God satisfies. Only he satisfies. You need to understand that. The things that he created were not meant for our satisfaction in life. Only God can fill that in our lives. 
a relationship with him. As we are connected to the vine, as the Bible says, we are then nourished. We are then satisfied. We can enjoy those things that God has given to us. Amen. We can enjoy our relationships with one another. Amen. As we are connected to the vine, we can then enjoy these things. But you're not going to find it disconnected. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, he says, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. He says, if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it but only to arouse it, to suggest or hint at the real thing. John records Jesus' words in John chapter 4 and verse 13, and he says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give to him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I give will become in him a spring of water, satisfying his thirst for God, welling up, continually flowing, bubbling within him to eternal life. That's what I want. I want that, I want that living water. Amen? How many of you want that living water that Jesus is offering? He says, you will never thirst again. No longer will you, will you feel the need to be satisfied by someone else or something else because you've been satisfied by God. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says, He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. See, you and I, we were made for God. And apart from him, we will never find true fulfillment. Moses had everything he needed growing up as the adopted son of the Pharaoh's daughter. But we know that true happiness is not in our power to attain. Why? Because we always want more. But we must direct our hopes to the only one who can truly fulfill them and give our life meaning. Follow Jesus. Church, follow Jesus. Seek after him. As Moses did, where Moses could have stood in the place of comfort where he grew up, but instead he saw the hurt of his people and he said, I can't, I can't just live like this and watch and do nothing. There's more purpose for my life than this. 
than to just be sitting up in this place enjoying the lavish lifestyle. There's got to be more. There's got to be more to life than this. And God started, started drawing him away, drawing him away to a place where he can fulfill that great purpose that God gave to him. That calling upon his life. Same for you and I. God is calling you. He called you here tonight. You're here because of God's calling. Amen? You're here because of his grace and his mercy. And let me tell you, there is more to life than the things of this world. There's more. That's great news. That's great news for those who have come to, who, who have come to, a, to a dead end, maybe, in your life. And you say, I've done this and I've done that. What else left is there to do? Try Jesus. Try Jesus in your life. See what he does, amen? See where he takes you. See what he gives you, amen? See how satisfied you really can be in Jesus Christ. Follow Jesus and you could live abundantly now and have eternal life as well. As every head is bowed and every eye closed.